Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, Justin Trudeau's gun policies are devastating to gun owners, but to the gun control lobby, they don't go far enough. Also, why Canada's policy of appeasing China doesn't work, and why two Irish filmmakers are telling the story of Hunter Biden. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on Drew North. Great to have you aboard the program. We've got a great show planned for this afternoon or this evening, whenever you happen to be listening to this. We'll be talking to Anne McElhenney and Phelan McAleer later on in the program about their new project, which is about an American political story, but has an underpinning to it that I think is relevant to people all around the world, including in Canada. There's a lot of media bias and a lot of just the general culture war issue that we see manifest in other ways. So that's going to be something we'll talk about with them very shortly. I want to begin by talking about Bill C-21. This is the bill that the Liberal government tabled a few weeks back on guns, which of course you know is a big issue of interest for me. The bill cements a lot of what the Liberals did in May with that order in council that just overnight prohibited uh, 1,500 variants of firearm. It more amusingly bans replica firearms, any gun that looks like a real gun from being purchased. It has been so broad that even the airsoft community is convinced that it's going after them. It also gives municipal governments the right to ban handguns. It does a lot of things that have been derided by gun owners and by the gun movement. This is one of the reasons that I've had so much interest in the project I'm working on right now, a documentary about the federal government's war on gun owners, a project that's going to be coming out in just a a couple of months called Assaulted, because gun owners in Canada feel assaulted right now by the government, by Justin Trudeau. This was not a pro-gun bill. This was an anti-gun bill. It was unnecessary. It does nothing for public safety compared to all the damage it unleashes. But the gun control movement apparently hates it. Polly Remembers, a group set up by the survivors and families of victims of the Polytechnique massacre in Montreal in 1989, has been a very vocal voice against gun ownership and against gun owners. I I find often irrationally so if you look at the rhetoric they bring to the situation. But nevertheless, they're an interesting barometer for the gun control movement. They've sent a letter to Justin Trudeau saying that Bill C-21 is a betrayal of the victims, survivors, and families destroyed by mass shootings. It's a four-page letter, and they're saying they are angry, about the dismal Bill C-21. It gives the appearance of follow-up to Trudeau's election commitments against guns, but doesn't actually do anything. They say that it's egregious that he's presented this bill as a response to the pain of victims and their families. Moreover, they say Trudeau is, quote, playing into the hands of the gun lobby. I'm just reading, I don't want to read the whole four-page letter, but I'm pulling out different excerpts of it here. They say uh, the bill changes nothing. Killers will still be able to be licensed owners of legally acquired assault weapons and could commit the same massacres with the same weapons and the same high-capacity magazines. Now, what they mean by that is that Justin Trudeau's bill did not mandate... It didn't mandate the buyback. It said you have the option to sell this back to the government 
or you can just hold on to it, but you can't do anything with it. You can't bring it to the range, you can't shoot it, you can't even really take it out of the safe all that much. That's what the bill does. And they're saying that by doing that, it means that there's just another shooter out there waiting who has an AR-15 and they're going to dig it out and they're going to use it. Because what Polly remembers believes is that legal gun owners are the problem. They believe that all the people like me who own an AR-15 that they have legally, that they properly store, are all just mass killers waiting. Mass killers waiting for the opportunity to just say, all right, I've had it with this, take the gun out of the safe, go and, and start killing on a spree. And this is not to take away the pain of the victims of this very dark and very painful chapter of Canadian history and of Quebec history specifically. But it is just not in alignment with the facts. We know that the problems with gun violence today, the problems with mass shootings, the problems with the bulk of gun violence, which comes from gangs and, and existing organized crime, have nothing to do, not little to do, but most of it has nothing to do with lawful gun ownership. So the idea that Justin Trudeau can tell legal gun owners that your guns are useless now, this is what he said, he said it's next to useless, that Justin Trudeau can say that, and then lawful gun owners feel assaulted and attacked, and they feel like their property's being taken away, and they feel terrible, and the gun control group is still saying, this, oh man, you stabbed us in the back, yeah, you promised you were going to take action. I, I mean, this is, to me, I find quite hilarious. Bill C-21 is dismal. I agree, but for different reasons. So the problem with this is that now Justin Trudeau has put forward the bill that he thinks is going to be the big firearms bill or one of them. He, he's done a sequence of these things and the gun control people are saying it's not enough. Now, I actually have an interesting experience with this because True North has an audience that is, believe it or not, quite diverse. I know a lot of people think of us as a conservative platform, which generally speaking, we are with a small c. But we get people that are libertarians, people that are more traditional fiscal conservatives. We get people on the left that tune into our content. We have, we have all sorts of people and, and a lot of people in cities who whenever we've sent out an email or I've done a video on guns are actually very negative towards it. People have said, well, you know, I'm conservative. I hate Trudeau, this and that, but nope, I hate guns. No one should have them. No one should have the right to own a gun. And I find this interesting because there is a lot of misinformation, even from otherwise educated and informed people about guns and about firearms and a lot of misinformation that tends to creep in to the political debate on this. And the people who are the most uh, prone to saying that, to saying, oh, you know, no one needs a gun, uh, or the guns have to be come off the streets, or the one that I really love, oh, you know, we're just becoming like America. Okay, I mean, in, in no way is that true, but, but okay. And this is why I, I find it to be fascinating, because there is an emotional attachment that people have brought to the issue. And a lot of that has been, because, has been because of the advocacy of people that are genuine survivors or victims of horrific crimes that involve firearms. But the problem with this is that having been subjected to something so terrible does not make you an expert. It means people should listen to you. People should hear your stories, hear your pain, but we need to have an honest accounting of the facts. And when the gun control lobby is saying that we have so many threats out there because of the Canadian gun regime, that is just not factual. 
And in no way whatsoever does that stand up to any of the facts that we have at our disposal about guns and about gun crime. So my issue is this. If the liberals who do not care at all about firearms and gun owners are getting hit by the gun control activists for not going far enough, they're probably going to go the next step. They're going to go the distance. And there's one line I want to read here in particular. This was in an article in La Presse about it. And it's, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically what Natalie Provo from the organization, from Polly Remember, says is that Trudeau isn't allowed to go and cry with them at their photo ops anymore. <laughs> that's what she says in the first line here. Nope, you know, that's enough of the beautiful photos with Trudeau just crying at our side. They're saying, yeah, he comes there, he says he hears our pain, he talks about all that he's going to do, but he's not actually doing anything. And Justin Trudeau wants these groups to back him more than he wants groups like the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights to back him. So he's going to eventually give them what they want. And this is why it's a slippery slope argument, which I know people don't like, but it's one that people need to hear. Because, and this is so key, they're never going to stop. It's always an incremental move. And by that, I mean that whenever someone says, well, you know, yeah, no one needs an AR-15, so I guess that seems like a reasonable enough policy, that's not the goal. The goal isn't just to say, all right, you know what, we want to get the AR-15s off the street and then we're going to stop. And we see this in C-21. It's the AR-15s. Then it's the handguns from the municipal level. And then it's going to be something else. And then it's semi-automatic shotguns. And, then, and all of these things that if you're not a gun owner, you don't necessarily know or care about the difference of. But they are very significant. And again, if I can plug the documentary, one of the things we're talking about it is how people are, in a lot of ways across the country, embracing guns as a way of life. Uh, one of the folks we spoke to is a wildlife documentarian. He loves nature. He loves the world, but he's got to save his life if he's out in the bush. We have someone else who is in tremendous, tremendous form at competitions. He's a Canadian Armed Forces veteran, and he can now no longer shoot in competitions with the gun he's always shot in competitions because the Liberals have decided to ban it. There are stories like this that are across the country that we are talking to people of all walks of life about. And these are stories that Justin Trudeau doesn't care about. But again, I mean, he, he likes to go and do the photo ops and cry and say, I feel your pain and we're going to take guns off the street. But that's not enough because they want nothing short of complete 100% total disarmament. And you know, if it gets to the point where the only gun left in Canada is a musket, they're going to go after that as well. We've got to take a break. When we come back, more of The Andrew Lawton Show. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show. We have in Canada seen a policy of appeasement towards China. This has been Justin Trudeau's MO when it comes to China. It's why Patty Haidu never wanted to criticize China's COVID numbers. It's why Canada has never wanted to basically hold China to account for anything. Why when the entirety of Canada's parliament, with the exception of the Liberals, were wanting to condemn China's genocide against Uyghurs, the Liberals went, oh, well, it's a, it's a loaded term, even though the Liberals accused themselves of genocide and every other Canadian governing party in the country's history. So the reason I talk about this policy of appeasement is because one of the great defenses of it was that Justin Trudeau was playing some form of 3D chess 
And <laughs> I know, don't laugh. People thought this, that he was playing some form of 3D chess because, well, you know, it's a complicated situation. We've got Meng Wanzhou and BC, and then we've got Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor in China, and the, the liberals are, are trying to get the release done. And, you know, here we are now where China has announced that starting tomorrow, the two Michaels are going on trial. Michael Spavor's trial starts on Friday, and Michael Kovrig's trial starts on Monday. Now, these trials are over half-baked charges about espionage and all sorts of things that were clearly retaliatory to actions taken against China. They had nothing to do with the conduct of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. And if it, even if it did, the fact that these two arrests took place in conjunction with each other shows that this was very much China looking for a cudgel to use against the West. So time is basically running out. These trials are going ahead. Any progress that was apparently being made towards their release and return to Canada clearly has not been met by progress on China's side of things. Otherwise, this wouldn't be going to trial. Now, I was reading from one expert in the National Post that even though the trial is taking place now, basically, and might only take a few days, it could be months or even years before they announce a verdict. Because we're talking about a country here that actually does not care at all about human rights that doesn't care at all about the West, and I would say doesn't even care specifically about Canada or how it's viewed by Canada. Remember, there was this uh, interview that was on the CPAC channel in Canada with the Chinese ambassador, and even with the Liberals not joining the vote to declare China a perpetrator of genocide, uh, they were not making the distinction between parliament and government, because in China, you don't actually have freedom to do these things. So anything that lawmakers do in China's mindset is no different than Canadian government officials doing it, because to them, they don't understand this idea of a country that doesn't just control its political opposition and, and all of these other things. But anyone that ever said, well, you know, we shouldn't criticize China because, you know what, we, we, we have this rocky situation here. What has that gotten us? Appeasement has gotten us nowhere. And that is basically the line. Appeasement has gotten us nowhere. Justin Trudeau has heaped praise onto China in the past. You know, the infamous line about how it's his favorite basic dictatorship because they can do things when they want them and they can turn their economy around on a dime. Well, they can also turn around human rights on a dime, which is exactly what they've done with Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. And I don't blame Canada for the two Michaels being arrested. I don't blame Canada for them being imprisoned, detained, without uh, particularly consistent access to consular service, without due process. That is not Canada's fault. But I do blame Canada for not wanting to take any tough position with China. Canada's position on the world stage has just been to be everyone's friend. They just want to go to the parties. They want to rub elbows and hobnob and do all that other stuff. But when push comes to shove, they were pass blocking for China instead of actually playing the rush against China. And this is so tremendously dangerous, not just for Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, but for Canadian interests more broadly. Canada has proven that it is someone that can be completely walked all over. And that's a dangerous point. And that's a, an incredibly dangerous position 
for our country to be in. Appeasement hasn't worked. It's not working. The trial date, some theorists are saying, some analysts are saying, might be tied to a meeting between Beijing and Washington officials in Alaska that's taking place. And if the U.S. government under Biden is trying to reopen the door to China and, and try to find ways to work through it, if China's response to that is, we're just going to flex our muscles and show you what we're capable of, how is this country at all to be taken seriously as a good faith actor? It's not. And I don't know what the answer is. I think there are a lot of things that need to be done with the China relationship. But the point of this is you can't give them the benefit of the doubt ever. You, you just can't. It, it's just not how things work. Uh, before we talk to Anne McElhenney and Phelan McAleer, I, I wanted to switch briefly to an update on a, a story that was very personal for me that I have spoken about on the show in the past, including with Conservative MP Garnet Jenis, and that is Bill C-7, which, as amended, thanks to the senators in the Liberal Caucus, or sorry, the Independent Senators Group, and most of the Liberal MPs, and as well as the Bloc Québécois in the House of Commons, will allow the right for people with mental illness to seek and acquire assisted suicide. This is what the expanded version and amended version of C7 has done. Now, once these amendments passed, it was a lock. We knew it was going to happen, but it has been formalized now. The bill, with its amendments, has gone to the Senate. The Senate has reviewed the House of Commons amendments and has voted 60 to 25 with five abstentions, which means the bill is now proceeding to royal assent. Now, Canada is uh, without a governor general right now. Now, that doesn't mean that all bills are frozen. It just means that the duties are shifted to Richard Wagner, who's the Chief Justice of Canada, serving as the Administrator of Canada. But this is going to be very soon the law. Now, they've built in a sunset clause of sorts, where for two years, that prohibition on people with mental illness getting assisted suicide will still remain. And if government wants to come up with any regulations or any approaches to that, they have two years to do it before automatically it becomes legal. And basically, my fear is it becomes open season. So the message to you, if you care about this, because I got a lot of feedback, even from people that aren't conventionally supporters of my view of the world, saying that, I mean, this is terrible, we should all be aligned on this. You have to talk to your MP. The two-year clock is going to start very soon. And you have to get them to roll that back before that runs out. If no one can agree on anything, it becomes the law. And that's why putting in that two-year uh, uh, two uh, limit is really dangerous because it forces people to come to an agreement on a contentious issue without going through the proper deliberative process. And when I talk about good faith actors, remember, the liberals allowed this to be put in without having any scrutiny, without being discussed in committee, without having any real oversight through the political process. There was virtually no debate on this whatsoever. So the two years starts now. And this is not a partisan organization by any stretch, but just personally, as a survivor of suicide, I can tell you, I'm going to be fighting this, and I hope you will too. When we come back, more of The Andrew Lawton Show. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. 
Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show. A few weeks back, I moderated, you may recall, a, a, a panel on big tech censorship. And one of the big stories we talked about in that panel was during the presidential election last year, the New York Post and its story, which under any normal circumstances in a normal world, in a normal universe, would have been the bombshell story of the election about Hunter Biden and his laptop, but instead became suppressed, became subject not just to the cancellation and censorship of the New York Post by Twitter, but anyone who wanted to share the New York Post story on Twitter, on, on Facebook. And the reason I bring all that up is because this is a story, despite the significance of it, that most people have not heard because of all of the forces working against it. Well, two fantastic filmmakers are telling the story in a film they've announced called My Son Hunter. Phelan McAleer and Ann McElhenney join me now. Good to talk to you both. Thanks for coming on and congrats on launching this. Thank you very much, Andrew. It's an important story, yeah. So we are a few months now past the election. A lot of the people that did pay attention to it were people in our orbit because they were looking for it. A lot of the people in the mainstream society were not hearing about this. Are you worried that you're going to have those same forces against you trying to tell this story? Well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that, that's why we're making a movie, actually, rather than you know, doing a documentary or a news story is because movies have much more penetration. People will not necessarily seek out a documentary, but they may come across a movie and we're going to put this online. We're going to give it away. Um, and, you know, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be fun. It's going to be accessible. Uh, but it's going to tell the truth, uh, the truth that Hollywood and big tech and big media and uh, don't want you to hear. So what is My Son Hunter about? Well, it's a, I mean, it's a lot about the Biden family and the Biden's family corruption, family with a big F and a small F. But it's also a, it's very much like your introduction alluded to. It's very much about media and about media bias and big tech censorship. Um, that that's as, that's equally as important a story here as the story of the Bidens. And the story of the Bidens is extraordinary. And it's amazing when you just think of the details of it. Here's a guy, Hunter Biden, who has a drug problem. I mean, that's not particularly unusual. There's a lot of people have that. We're from Ireland. You know, we exported alcoholism, alcoholism around the world. So here's a guy with a drink. You know, he's got, he got an alcohol problem. You know, he uh, ha, you know, has to go to rehab. He has all these things that happen to him. You know, he, he gets a stripper pregnant and then, you know, says he isn't the father of the child. You know, he all this kind of stuff. And here's when you when you add all that about his that he went to the Navy, that he was there for one day, got a special dispensation because he was older. And the first day he turns up, he tests positive for cocaine and gets thrown out. But put alongside that the fact that this guy is the guy that an energy company in the Ukraine, after doing a worldwide executive search, say, that's the guy. That's the guy we need to have sitting on our board. And you know, your listeners, your the people who watch your show are smart and they have common sense. This is, this is not the guy you want on your board. Let's not, you know, I mean, obviously the, the alcohol or his drug addiction thing, you know, I'm very sorry and all that. That's not, this guy is on their board for one reason and one reason only. There is one reason and one reason only that that guy is getting $3 million from the mayor of Moscow's wife. There is one reason and one reason only why that guy is getting an $85,000 diamond ring given to him by a random Chinese you know, businessman. There's one reason only that he's getting $100,000, him and members of his family, to do a shopping spree from Chinese business people. 
And there's one reason only, and that's the reason that we're going to expose, because the big guy, the big guy that's referred to in these emails that came up in that very laptop that you talk about, the big guy is Joe Biden. I want to read how you've described this film, Anne. You said it's Austin Powers meets King Lear with a dash of House of Cards. So you've got all the bases covered. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. I mean, it is. It's, it's a family story as well as a, and it's got all these exotic locations. You know, it's got the Ukraine, it's got China, it's got Monte Carlo. Delaware. <laughs> you know, and and then at the, then we, when we spoke to a famous director in Hollywood, we won't say who it was, a famous writer as well. And he said, you know, ultimately, Hunter Biden hates his father. Uh, that must be the reason he left the laptop behind. There's tension there. He was never the favorite son. Bo was the favorite son. So there's, there's that tension. Then you've got House of Cards, you know. I mean, really, Joe Biden had a, a son who was an addict. And what, how did he treat him? He, uh, he made him his bag man, you know. There's something deeply, deeply sinister about this family. Um, and, you know, and it's brilliant, brilliant movie material. It's dark, it's funny, it's exotic. Let me give you a funny. There's, there's plenty, give, plenty of beautiful women. Let me give you a funny, and there's lots of beautiful women in it. Let me, let me give you a funny. Let's get, I mean, again, you know, your audience are smart. This is the Austin Powers side of the formula, yes. if you're digging out yeah. the funny. So here's a guy who has this, you know, dr a drug problem. He goes to a rehab. He's walking in the door of the rehab, and he meets a woman called Bicycles. Her name is Bicycles. She's homeless, and she always has a bicycle, and so her name is Bicycles. And this guy, the guy that the Ukrainian energy company chose above everyone else to be on their board, decides to go and live with her, to go and live with bicycles instead of going to rehab. So you can see where Burisma, you can see, you can understand why they wanted this guy on the board of their energy company. You know, an international executive search turned that up. Turned that up, this guy that got rejected after one day at the, at the Navy. So Anyone who's uh, ever lost their job or had trouble getting one is going to be just infuriated by all of this, in the, especially in the last year with the pandemic. I, let me ask you, Phelan, because you've done some tremendous work before that I've talked about on the show, from uh, the Gosnell movie to FBI Lovebirds and, and Ferguson. And a recurring theme in, in those is that you... Uh, take a lot of the dialogue from court transcripts, from from verbatim uh, things that have happened. Do you have that going into this? I mean, how do you get the factual yeah. basis or how much of it do you get from well, which you can build the fictionalized or, or at least dramatized account? Well, Hunter Biden gave a confessional interview to The New Yorker in 2019. Now, it was clever because he gave it and the interview was buried and no one ever followed up on it. Uh, and all of these facts that we're telling you about now came from Hunter Biden's mouth. Uh, then you've got the emails that he, that he has never denied and that no one involved in the emails has ever denied. And several people involved in the emails have confirmed. So, you know, this we don't we're not going into conspiracy theories. We're going into confirmed details. Uh, and boy, I'll tell you, you know, you don't need to go into conspiracy theories. You know, there's a lot of questions to be answered. There's a lot of fun to be had, and there's a lot of information to bring to people. And there's a serious point as well, which is this point that, you know, when all of this was available, as Philip says, all this information was available, freely available, it's all out there, uh, just to be found. And intrepid reporters 
are supposed to be intrepid. They're supposed to care about this kind of thing, particularly in the run-up to a presidential election. And they chose not to report on this. And that's going to be a very, very important component of this movie, is exposing and showing the media for exactly what they did with the New York Post, who were intrepid, who did have this story and tried to get it out to the public and were suppressed by big tech, but also, you know, shame on the New York Times, CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, all of these places that did not tell this story at all. Yeah, and you you raise something very important there. And I, I know that, you know, a lot of my audience, of course, is Canadian, and some people may wonder why this is relevant. But I, I think there's a, a national and an international aspect to this, because the media problems exist all over the place. And one thing that I, I find particularly insidious about all of this is that, you know, if Baron Trump were to walk down the street within three months of the time some Russian diplomat had walked down the street, it would have been on the front page of the New York Times. You know, we heard for the entirety of Donald Trump's presidency and even beyond Russian collusion, Russian collusion, Russian collusion. Here you have something that, as you note, is, is plain as day. It's not even hidden in plain sight. It's just in plain sight. And, and you have to crane your neck in ways that the human body is not meant to twist to not look at it. But that's what's happening. Yeah, totally, totally. The, 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 the lack of curiosity of journalists to these great stories uh, is, is um, well, it's very understandable, but it's madness. It's complete mm-hmm. madness. On a whole slew of levels, these are brilliant, brilliant journalistic stories. And the detail. Yeah, and the they tell themselves. They tell themselves. They tell themselves. I mean, you can't. There's no I mean, color. You don't script, have to add color. The script for this movie is writing itself. Yeah. And you know, and if Hollywood had any decency, they'd be they would be competing to make this movie at this stage. It writes itself, but they're not because big Hollywood, big tech, and big media. Their job is to cover up for the Democrats, cover up for the Democratic Party, and cover up for liberalism. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're entitled to do that, I suppose. You know, but let's not call themselves journalists. Yeah. Let's call themselves stenographers or, you know, or court eunuchs or whatever it is they are, but they're not journalists. And, and not- you've got a, a crowdfunding campaign set up at mysonhunter.com. And I wanted to ask you about the Hollywood connection because you're raising two and a half million dollars for this. You've already gotten a huge amounts of money and I, I know you're going to continue to have momentum there. This is huge by the standards of crowdfunding for a feature film, but this would be pennies to a lot of these Hollywood film studios. That's right. Totally, totally. This is this is the catering budget on on big movies. I, I mean, I I mean that that's, that's often a joke. True. That's it's true. actually true. Um, but you know, this is this is where we are. We're forced to make do. Uh, we're going to film it in Serbia, which is cheap, and uh, we'll double as Ukraine. It's even got a Chinatown uh, where we can pretend it's China. Did the Serbia uh, double as Delaware too? Um. We might yeah. shoot Delaware in Delaware. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, or Oklahoma, or somewhere, yeah. or somewhere over, and somewhere, somewhere on this and, side. And of the one ocean. great thing about I suppose one great thing about Serbia is it has apparently I, I'm told has lots of um, very beautiful women and strip clubs, uh, which no movie about Hunter Biden would be complete without beautiful <laughs> women and strip clubs. Uh, and... But no, I'm glad you mentioned about the about the crowdfunding campaign. We've raised. I mean, so so we're we're raising as film says we're raising 2.5 million dollars. It's the biggest campaign we've ever done. We raised $2.3 million in the past for the Gosnell movie. But, you know, we had our first day yesterday, right? Yeah. And on our first day, we were up to over a little over a quarter of a million dollars already. So mm-hmm. about 10% uh, of the budget already, which is a great, it's a great start. 
Um, but we would love anyone who's listening to this show to, you know, give what you can. You know, it's it's important. It's important. This is an important story. And as film says, we shouldn't we shouldn't need to be making this movie if yes. journalists did their job. We're now heading towards uh, over three hundred thousand. So That's things good. money is coming in, uh, but you know it's a, it's a bit of a it's a, it's a stretch between there and two point yeah. five. But it's so great. But people got, are really great. We got sixty days, so uh, please people yeah, give, give what you can. Let's yeah. make sure the cover up stops. Yeah. No, this is an important story. Now, I know that when you had the Gosnell film released, one of the things that was just tremendous about it, and I think I may have said this to you, Phelan, when we spoke last time, is that, yes, there was a, a political message there, but it was a good movie first, yeah. before it was yeah. just one of those preachy, hit-you-over-the-head-with-it ones. And, and I think that that's important for people that haven't seen your work to understand, that, yes, you guys have been great advocates for many causes over the years, but, but you're entertainers first and foremost in this way. Like, you want to make a good movie. Yeah, no, it's it's essential, and we, and we were making Gosnell. We I, I, that was our big command was this has to look like every other movie. Funny, which is a funny thing to say about a movie. You know, we wanted people to look at it and think, ah, oh, it's one of those procedurals. You know, a courtroom attention. You know, in my chambers now, objection. Yeah, whatever. You know, uh, C five, whatever. You know, all that. Um, and uh, you know, it's important that we make entertainment that is entertainment, and if there's anything we want to say, and it needs to be subservient to the entertainment to the story to the narrative and you know the great thing about covering these court cases is if you if you stick to the truth uh you know the truth will will set you free and, and tell a great story mysonhunter.com that's the website where people can chip in and you can also catch ann and phelim on their fantastic podcast the ann and phelim scoop uh, ann mcelhenny phelim mcelhenny thanks so much for coming on and a, a happy belated saint patrick's day to you both Thank you so much. We're in the Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Bye-bye. My thanks to Phelan McAleer and Ann McElhenney for coming on the show. Always a delight to talk to them both. And actually, I have had the chance on two occasions, and hopefully a third very soon, to be on the same cruise as them, the Mark Stein cruise, which has always been a great time. We were supposed to do one in October, but of course, the world has gone nutty. So now it's uh, this October, and let's hope we get to do that as planned. In any case, my thanks to them both and to all of you for tuning into the show. We'll be back in just a few days' time with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.